1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. A proud member of the Seneca Network from sub-China, I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, the Senior China-Africa Researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, I want to say all year, but the year is very short. But to say for the past five or six weeks, there has been this fascinating controversy and feud and whatever you want to call it down in Zimbabwe right now, where a group of civil society organizations, 27, they wrote a letter complaining about the environmental practices, labor abuses by Chinese mining companies. Now, these are not new accusations in Africa. In fact, going all the way back to the beginning, do you remember, I think it was in 2007, 2008, there was the Kolom mine shooting in, Z- in Zambia. And and so this is one of the narratives of the China-Africa relationship is the tensions that have, exist, have existed between Chinese companies and civil society. Now, in Zimbabwe, what's been interesting about this is that rather than just stay quiet, as Chinese companies are often prone to do, and just chill out and hope that this blows over— man, they have gone on the offensive. And the Chinese Business Association has hit back very hard. Xinhua, the state-owned news agency, has come back very aggressive. They're in it. The Chinese embassy is now hitting back very hard. And we've been covering this now for the past five or six weeks. And it really speaks to both some of the changes that we're seeing in Chinese corporate communications in Africa, but also many of the difficulties. Now, one of the longstanding narratives, and we have said it, for many years on this show, is that the Chinese companies in Africa are absolutely terrible at corporate communications and strategic communications. And I think it's time for me to modify that assessment because that was true five, six, seven years ago. But things have changed now, and there are a number of consumer brands in Africa, Huawei, Hisense, Transin, Star Times, Boomplay, Opay, uh, and there's many more. Uh, that have become very sophisticated in their corporate communications. And so we have to differentiate between some of the stodgy state-owned companies that still don't do it well and some of the more nimble tech companies. But the landscape for corporate communications in Africa for the Chinese is is changing very quickly, Kobus.
2: Yes, and and it's very interesting to see how certain Chinese companies are using different kind of localization strategies to kind of to to make themselves kind of part of the African landscape. Um, you know, a company like Huawei has been very effective at that in, in South Africa, um, and you know, and 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 the, it also shows that once they start doing it, then frequently you know kind of they are accepted by by African consumers and African publics. Um, you know, so so the issue then becomes what do they have to do to to become more you know kind of more local um what what are the what are the tactics that they that they follow and also like you know kind of what what kind of you know other stakeholders including agencies local people and so on are involved
1: this has been a topic that's been very difficult for us and other media to cover in part because it's been almost impossible to get people to speak openly about it you can't go up to most chinese companies and say will you talk to us The PR agencies who oftentimes represent a lot of these companies, they don't oftentimes want to talk. And so we rarely get the insights into how companies in Africa operate in the corporate communication space and what their thinking is and why they do the things they do. So it was really exciting for us through communications that we've been having going back for a while with an agency based in Paris that focuses on strategic communications for Africa. Nord is an agency based in Paris Uh, again, an African strategic communications agency. They have a China desk, and we are so happy to have on the show for the first time Claire Schuer, who heads that China desk, and Anna Ann, who is a consultant at Transaigneur. A very good afternoon to you in Paris.
3: Very good afternoon to you too, Eric and Kobus, and we are very happy to be here with you. It's such an honor, and I think it's the perfect platform for us to share a little bit our insight, if I can say that, on the... Um, China Africa um, communication projects that we we are managing
1: so let 's get started now with a conversation about Chinese corporate communications in Africa. You guys have a lot of experience in this space. It is really difficult for outsiders watching Chinese companies and to some extent the Chinese government, but we 'll focus on Chinese companies today to understand the way they behave, because too often what we see is Chinese companies refusing to engage with local stakeholders, refusing to engage with the media. If you want to interview a Chinese company, you have to submit a letter well in advance. It's not quick. Oftentimes, it goes back to Beijing. You have to submit the questions in advance. It's very, very stiff. This is not normal practices for most multinational companies. And so the Chinese, in many ways, are unique. Do they understand when you deal with these companies that if they behave this way, they are in many ways encouraging a lot of the bad press that they get? And if they only spoke openly with stakeholders and the local media, they might actually improve their media coverage in many African markets. Help us understand a little bit about the thinking that goes into most of these state-owned Chinese companies when it comes to strategic communications.
3: So, Actually the observation is accurate and for me um from my observation also when I during my business development in 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 Africa countries when I was dealing with take on companies uh stakeholders I found that it's very true that there's cultural differences that can set a lot of difficulties for the companies to be well perceived by the local media which means actually when i say cultural differences is you know it's like a communication habits chinese people for us is something like is to only do things that are useful and for communication habits uh, we also say talks much he airs much and in the ancient chinese saying we also say when we are talking we only say we only um, express 30% of what we really think. And when we're pointing out things, we tend to pull our punches, something like 点到为止. So this is something in the communication habits itself is very different from other culture. A lot of state-owned company, from what I felt, is like they think communication or strategy communication is not the priority because when the, the companies are managing big projects in, in Africa, they focus more on technical aspects and they need to maybe better manage a project to have better results and to finish a project on time or even in advance. But communication not something that they think is really important. And especially because they think Yan talks, talks much, airs much, they would rather invest more on the technical part than just to invest on the communication, strategic communication. And what you said is correct. What we as PR agency consultants, we think if you tend to avoid talking openly to the media, to the local media or even pan-African or even international media, the negative side will be these media or public because of lack of resources, they will tend to go to other resources that will talk on behalf of these Chinese state-owned companies, which will not be in a favorable position for these Chinese.
2: So um, Anna and Claire feel free to jump in if you want to. Um the you know like you you work in in this kind of French language space um, where there's where you're dealing with with Chinese companies having to communicate with francophone African audiences but also in this kind of global you know kind of French like France dominated kind of French space. Um, so I was wondering like where like from your perspective how are the how how are the how, how do these companies need to To communicate differently when they're communicating with French Africans, like African French speakers, versus with Parisian or, or, you know, kind of European French speakers.
0: Well, from my side, you mentioned it. The audience is quite different, and the media landscape is totally different in Europe, in France, and and then in Africa, Francophone uh, area. Uh, For example, in Europe, in France, um, we can say there's a lot of good case studies of uh, Chinese companies. We can see Alibaba, we can see uh, some electrical uh, vehicles that are entering in European market like Expo, like new, they have really good uh, marketing and PR uh, strategies. I think one, one side, because they have uh, really expertized teams, uh, because they know how to do the localization in Europe. But when we switch to Africa, the localization of PR strategy and marketing strategy is a little more, more difficult than in, in Europe or in, in France. Firstly, uh, like Claire uh, has mentioned, cultural differences is a first barrier, and the language barrier is also important. Uh, somehow, we can observe that many C-level managers and directors in Africa today, they have studied abroad, So they do well, they they do speak English well, uh, they do speak French well. um, But I think the real um, matter is communication strategy is more centralized by their HQ in China. I I can see they don't have freedom to express with local media. That is the first point. And the second point is maybe for the media landscape, they don't know well uh, the local media landscape. Uh, for media relationship, there are not sufi- um, sufficient investment and Third point in the social media uh, social media uh, aspect, uh, we know that uh, Facebook had the largest audience among other social medias in Africa, but the visual side and the created creativity side need to be more <laughs> enforced for for the Chinese companies. I think it's not a problem of consciousness, because when we when we look at China, TikTok is a Chinese application, so they know well the creativity is is important. But in Africa, they don't know how to how to do the videos.
3: I was talking about for the the Chinese state-owned companies, but actually the different sectors, the public and private sectors, are companies are different. Uh, we're talking about. different continents, the differences between uh, different continents is also because Chinese state-owned companies, the strategies are pretty much the same because, as we said, these companies are pretty much, how to say, they they have to report to the central government back in China. So it's like there's a communication line that is basically the strategies are centralized back to China and they're telling them what the strategy is for the group. And then the failures they, they will the, the subsidiaries they they will just try to apply, but for private sector companies, well, because they are selling their own brands, so they could do a little bit more differently based on their reality in the, in different uh, continents and also in Africa, I think for the private sector, a lot of companies the the investment scale are different. I just saw very interesting numbers that for the for the trade between China and Africa. Africa is only 4% of Chinese uh, overseas uh, trade amount, which is even below Latin American investment. So that means also the different budget for the different companies are, are not the same. When they have a better budget, they can invest more on different aspects, uh, should that be marketing or communication in different continents. They, can, they have more budget to hire experts different agencies also to help them with to build up a more efficient or uh, more standard communication strategy.
1: Okay, so let me see if I understand correctly, all the different things that you've put together here on the table. So number one is there's a cultural issue that, as you've pointed out, that historically Chinese companies and Chinese culture is not one prone to be as outspoken. And so there's a concern that if you speak too much, you might say something wrong and you might get in trouble. And and that's problem number one. Problem number two is on the state-owned enterprise side is that the decisions are made back in Beijing. And so the local managers in, in Africa and other places don't have the authority to engage the press or to go talk to to people. And then the third is that there is the fact that Africa is such a small market for most Chinese companies is that they don't have the budget that, say, larger markets in Europe, in the United States, Japan, certainly uh, South America now with $454 billion of trade every year. That's becoming more important. Those markets, those companies get bigger budgets from the home office. Am I correct? And those are the three main problems? Yes, Okay, let's focus on state-owned companies because a lot of the attention in Africa is on state-owned companies. And those are the big mining companies. They are the infrastructure companies, the power companies. These are the ones that are building a lot of the roads and that people see and come in contact with. You've had conversations with some of these companies. Do they know and do they understand that they have a problem?
3: Yes, I think they is not as what anna said is not the problem of consciousness i think they see that there while well, there often are opinion crises on social media like social movements or even like criticism also from like um local or even pan african international media i think for the uh, management level the people they they can read foreign language if it's, if it's english or in french people can read it, people can get to know that things happen. The only thing is how can they re- respond to this kind of criticism or are they willing to respond to this? So for us, because we're both Chinese and we are communication consultants and we're working in this, this sector, we, what we do is we try to advise to the companies to better manage this kind of uh, criticism or opinion crisis. I think the first thing is people need to know that silence is not gold in he, in this kind of circumstance. It's better to respond to criticism because sometimes all companies from every country in the world, when they're investing abroad, uh, even back home, they face criticism. They face a certain crisis. There should always be some kind of problem uh, when they're developing their business, but the difference is you need to really face the criticism and try to give you your side of the story and respond in, in the good, in the right time with the right responses. So what we want to try to convince them is if you're not telling your side of the story, people would only think that you are confirming to this kind of accusation. Sometimes I have even have trouble understanding why companies are not responding because respond to the criticism, it should not just be saying that you are wrong and then it would get worse. Because there is actual examples on what Chinese state-owned companies did right. For example, last year, you have mentioned for the labor abuse, things like that, it was kind of conflicts between chinese and local employee it's at the construction site and people from both chinese and local side they had quite severe conflict and then there's kind of a social movement or a lot of criticism criticism on the social media and then the chinese company they just responded with a letter saying that the what the chinese employee did was not right and by no means the Chinese employee should do this kind of thing. So what I think this kind of example is pretty positive to show that Chinese companies, facing when facing criticism or when facing opinion crisis, they're not just hiding or not responding. People are being conscious that just keep silent is not a good thing. They need to just... Face the criticism and give response and give their side of the story.
2: So one of the one of the big problems I think that that Chinese um, companies face in Africa is dealing with African press and African journalists. Um, And you know, kind of on the one hand, I can you know I I can see that uh, how important it is to be more open and just just kind of you know kind of not, for example, demand having the questions submitted beforehand. On the other hand, I can also appreciate that this must be very stressful. For, for these company you know, executives, frequently when, they, when they're working in their second or their third language. So, I was wondering what kind of advice do you give these executives when they have to talk to the press? Like, what, do, what should they do and what should they avoid?
3: I think, first of all, for the management or the spokesperson, they all need to have proper media training. I think it's something that's systematically um, not really in their work scope. Because when you're managing such a big corporate, you you know that somehow you have to face to the media or the journalism uh, someday, and it's facing the media and also as you said in the third language, some can be really stressful. But with the right amount of media training, I think people can get used to the public speech first, um, with especially with the with the with the foreign language, and then they also know. They they can also get to know better what are the logics for the journalists and for the media when they're when they're um, asking questions, so that they can give better a response. And the most important is, it's always better to have someone who knows the local media ecosystem well, uh, which means the experts who has local culture and who knows the the local media.
1: But given the issues that you've laid out and how conservative many of these Chinese state-owned companies are in their approach, it doesn't seem like, to me at least, that things are going to change anytime soon. It's not like they're going to stop going to Beijing for direction. It's not like they're going to suddenly become more open and less worried about speaking out. What should we expect in the next few years from the state-owned companies in terms of their communication practices? Do you see them staying the same as they've been for the past 20 years or reforming and becoming a little bit more adaptable to the local market?
3: I think the, the several years that i worked in the, in the communication uh, industry already witnessed uh, um, some kind of evolution. Because, well, of course, for the Chinese state-owned corporates, they should always, always be in line with the central government because they are state-owned companies. So when the strategies of communication from the central government is evolving, um, the Chinese companies, uh, state-owned companies abroad, they will, of course, adapt and evolve their communication strategies. I think you've already covered this as well last year. The central government has pointed out, um, the president has pointed out that the strategy should be of communication abroad should be um, China want to become more respectable, with more credibility, if if I remembered it right. So they want to try to proactively try to uh, spread the positive side of Chinese companies when they are developing their business abroad and try to do better jobs uh, with their corporate uh, social responsibilities. So they're not just focusing on the technical project side. They, they also want to try to communicate a lot more about their social responsibility. It's just how they can apply this and elaborate it in, um, in detail and how they will applicate. The good sign is when I'm visiting the Chinese companies uh, in Africa, they say that they are asked to do more this kind of communication things. It's just they are a little bit lost because they don't have the specific strategy and they don't know how to really do it. So they are relatively open to listen to us. Even the embassies that I visited, the Chinese embassies abroad, they are very encouraging. They try to introduce us to their companies abroad and let them know better about what we're doing. So this is relatively a good sign. It's just, I think some other thing they should re-, uh, re, enhance is align, also align with the new strategy because on the investment and, and uh, the infrastructural projects, um, the Chinese government, they said the new strategy is to invest less, but do better. So maybe they want to change the impact from, only like huge national projects to projects that are more caring to the local uh, habitants and to the local people. So for the communication-wise, they also need to orient themselves a little bit more to the general public, which means with the through the social media, like Twitter, like Facebook, uh, things like that. And this part of uh, communication is quite challenging because... Social media means you are really directly facing the the public and you have to be responsive. You have to respond to their their questions when they contact you, when they leave comments. You have to have a a community management. Um, We also try to let them know that in Africa, social media is very, very important. And they need to go to have a better communication plan and really try to invest on a more systematic and strategic uh, long-term uh, communication plans. So I'm, I wish, I hope that the Chinese state-owned companies and also even uh, the central government can be more uh, encouraging and let the Chinese um, state-owned companies to work more with communication experts to Uh, help them together to uh, manage their communication strategy.
2: So just, you know, kind of um, taking it from the other side, you know, if you could advise an African community or an African audience that has some kind of specific problem with a Chinese company, let's say, you know, environmental issue, labor issue, something that they're unhappy about, what is the best way for an African community to communicate with and to get the best results from the interaction with a Chinese company? Like what, you know, kind of what what are African publics not doing that would actually facilitate the interaction?
3: Um well, I think dialogue is always a good way. It's a good way for both sides to get to know each other better. Some Chinese um, public corporations actually, indeed, they have um, central management for the Chinese employees, and so that the Chinese employees, they tend to stay a little bit more together, like among Chinese employees. But I think sometimes the local employees, they can take it in a negative way. It's like they're separating themselves to the local um, local employee, local community. I don't think they intend to do that. It's just culturally and uh, for the management, they tend to do this kind of thing. It, sometimes it can generate mis- misunderstanding and dialogue, I think, can be a good way that people try to sit together and talk more. And um, of course, uh, they also need to try to communicate more with the management level uh, to express themselves uh, maybe together with the Chinese, um, I don't know, because they have interpreters all, often in the Chinese Sedon company, and they can try to get help as well from the interpreter to better uh, explain themselves rather than just explain in, uh, in the foreign language. I think it can be more efficient.
1: Yeah, but you know, one of the big problems, though, that this reveals is the fact that not enough of the local management is made up of local executives, that too much of the management is Chinese. And this has been one of the long-standing complaints of Chinese companies compared to other companies. So in China, for example, you look at most of the American companies and all of the executive management are Chinese. But Chinese companies retain the executive management to be theirs. And that creates a lot of these gaps. And on the culture issue and the language issue... I'm starting to run out of patience a little bit on that on that line simply because we are now 20 plus years into China's engagement in Africa, okay? Now, back in 2005, 2007, 2010, sure, okay, it was still relatively new. But we're now two decades into this whole experiment. And so language and culture really shouldn't be the issue. And it annoys me a little bit because Chinese people in China will lecture foreigners coming to China to say, if you want to work in China, you must understand our culture, you must understand our 5,000 years of history, you must understand our language, you must understand our social media, you have to understand everything if you want to be successful here. And that same principle doesn't seem to be applied when Chinese companies go abroad, especially to a place like Africa. Just the state-owned companies, again, Huawei Star Times, Trans, those guys are doing a really good job at localizing, and they've got agencies and they understand the power of communication. So I get a little frustrated on some of these lines that we hear from Chinese companies saying, language, culture, and uh, you know not an, and there's a gap between management and the employees, when these are issues that have been resolved in many other markets around the world where they confront the same challenges. What, what's your take on that?
0: We totally understand your just your observations, actually because uh, Chinese state companies, and the 99% of them are in the public infrastructure, mining, import-export sectors. And from the beginning, um, they don't have the need to do lots of communication because without communication, they always do their business well because they do the investment, they have the um, protection and, um, and convention of, of governments. So it's uh, also a, a sector, maybe activities difference that has just resulted, uh, resulted the situation of today. As, as you said, in other sectors, like Star Times, like uh, Tristan, uh, they have invested particularly in african applications in african social medias because they are doing <laughs> in the sector b2c uh, which is uh, really important uh, to get a good agency um, to know local people local culture very well when we switch to infrastructure and this all those sectors it's true that the communication is not is <laughs> not in their priority. Uh, However, uh, but we have seen some evolutions. And from these years, they try to do the localization through some CSR projects, uh, of course, sometimes it's a little awkward <laughs> their uh, their communication. But I think they will have some progress in the in the in the next few years uh, because we we are having younger um, leader generation is coming is going to Africa. They've they've seen how um, modern occidental structure works. They know how to distinguish between. A strategy consultancy company, a big four, a four A agency. So we are changing the landscape because when Claire can confirm that when she when we are in Africa to talk with uh, leaders, they have the question like, are we doing the advertising or are we doing uh, strategy uh, consultancy? So this is not clear in their in their minds, um, but with um, the evolution of management and structuring of these uh, uh, state-owned companies, the ch- changement will will not s- be too far, I think.
2: You know, like, who who do you think, um, in in your experiences, as as had the greatest success in in terms of communicating with African African audiences and by and localizing their their kind of media and communication presence in Africa? Like which Chinese company?
3: Yeah, so I think um, the tech companies should should be the pioneer in this um, strategy communication sector in Africa? Well, of course, because these tech companies, they also have the marketing um, aspect, so they should apply both the marketing approach and communication approach so that they can have a larger audience and to to do better business in Africa. The good thing what they did is just these tech companies, they are more... Um, international, relative more international. So globally, the, the, they apply a very st- a systematically, a very um, strategic uh, communication plan. And then they both invest on traditional media uh, relation and also the social media, which is very important in, in Africa. So they adapt and they try to build a local brand and to ha- um be uh, very proactive on the communication with both the authorities and also the general public.
1: Yeah, so I'd say the tech companies, that's very interesting what you've said. Also, the white goods. So High Sense is very big. I think they're doing a pretty good job. And then I would keep an yes. eye out on the automakers. They're starting to come into Africa in a pretty big way. Some of these are state-owned, some of them are private, but again, they're consumer-facing, they're using agencies. So that's one of the uh, the sectors that I've just been watching as I put my newsletter together every day and seeing the corporate communications come through. Auto companies are, are pretty strong in that space, especially uh, Cherry in South Africa. That's one to watch. So Claire Scher. Anna uh, and thank you so much for joining us both are at the China desk at uh, 35 North, which is a strategic communications and PR agency based out of Paris that does a lot of work in Africa for Chinese companies. And this was really fascinating for us to get a look behind the curtain as to how some of the corporate communications decisions work and what are the reasons for the difficulties that so many Chinese companies are having. Claire and Anna, once again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much, Eric and Colbus. Thank you.
1: That was really, really neat because, again, we've never been able to see around the corner on this. We've always wondered how it works, why it is the way it is. Uh, it's a little bit mystifying to watch how truly bad so much of Chinese corporate communications is. But again, as as Claire and Anna pointed out, there, there are a lot of changes and there are some good things that are happening, especially in the tech space. Uh, the state-owned side is something that I don't think it's going to change that quickly. These are massive organizations. I think the cultural conservatism runs very, very deep. But it is interesting to, to understand a little bit of the dynamics of what's going on.
2: Yes, fascinating. I think I think another aspect is that this must all also be changing as Africa's economy changes. Um, you know, because because as as African consumer markets become more and more attractive to to you know to to kind of cons, cons, you know to, to, to companies that that produce these kind of products, you're seeing also uh, the kind of mix of companies changing. The need to, to communicate directly with with their consumers becoming more. important and i think you know kind of the the chinese companies you know infrastructure companies and mining companies there are certain kind of shared cultures in mining for example across you know it's not only the Chinese companies that have this problem or have this tendency you know I think many mining companies tend to not care what what local communities think or or having to be kind of forced kicking and screaming into communicating with them so you know so I think a lot of this is also shifting as African consumers become more valued and and that is itself you know a very positive
1: trend and there's one part of all of this that that's interesting, is that the negative news tends to be amplified on social media and feeds into a lot of deeply, deeply held embedded narratives. At the same time last year, you know, we saw all these videos of abuse of local workers by Chinese managers. I mean, it was just awful in Rwanda, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and also in Sierra Leone. But the one in Sierra Leone was different, because the china seventh railway group that was the the manager of this of this one individual remember that guy who had this spear like thing and he went running around trying to chase it, it was yes. awful it was terrible but within 24 hours they disciplined him they published a full statement saying this is unacceptable. They then, within the next day, they brought the, the the assailant together with the victim, and they had this terribly awkward picture of like, see, everybody's happy. And my guess there was a payment that went to the to the to the victim, whatever it ha- you know, it was. But what was so interesting about it was how quickly they took action, how open and transparent they were, and yet none of that was actually communicated back out onto social media. Everybody just followed the pictures of the man chasing around with the horrible spear-like thing. That was awful. I get it. But at the same time, there is some acknowledgement that has to be made at how quickly the China Seventh Railway Group moved. And again, I don't say that to defend them. I just say that there's change in the market, even for a big mining company like that or an infrastructure construction company like China's 7th Railway Group. Yes.
2: And, you know, this definitely seems to be, I think, I think, you know, kind of they, they definitely seem to be learning, you know, kind of what's needed, including speed and, and transparency, as you say. And then one has to, also to acknowledge that, you know any kind of communication strategy, particularly if you if you're trying to convince people of something, you're up against what people already think and what they what they would prefer to think. Um, you know, so so in that sense, I think many many Chinese companies face a kind of uphill battle because because a lot of African publics are primed to think negatively about Chinese companies. You know, and for a lot of different reasons, um, and not least, you know, kind of the experiences of African publics with, with foreign companies as a whole. So you know, so so it's it, it's a tough it's a tough battle but but you know kind of as you say i think some some companies are getting better at it
1: they are but one of the other traits of how the chinese respond to crises and to criticism in particular is they go from zero to holy cow pissed off so fast and there's very little in between and we see this over and over again and too often this is the case of what we're seeing in zimbabwe play out is they dismiss local critiques, they dismiss local concerns, and they say it's Western media conspiracies, it's Western media trying to drive a wedge, when in fact it isn't anything to do with the West. And that completely undermines local agency when they do that. And I don't think they have any sense of how offensive that is and how dismissive it is when they just say, well, it's the West that is influencing these people to say these things, as if those critics don't have anything legitimate to say. And so that's one of the things that I hope does evolve on both sides, simply because it really undermines the Chinese credibility and it really kind of feeds this narrative that people in Zimbabwe and other countries can't make decisions for themselves because they're only following what Western media is doing. So, so much... For us to explore, we're gonna continue looking into this issue and we're gonna, I'd love to have the, the, those two back again in six months because it would be great just to continue this conversation because again, this is the first time we've ever done it in 12 years of doing the show. So having more of these discussions about how Chinese companies think and act in the communication space in Africa is very important. So let's leave our discussion there. Listen, if you want to sign up for all of the things that we're doing, go to our website, ChinaAfricaProject.com slash subscribe. You'll get full access to the website. You'll get our daily newsletter. We're hosting some Zoom calls now. We're doing some really cool things. We also have a great Patreon page uh, for people who just want to support the show, and we really appreciate all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. It's really, really great. Uh, and again, over there, we have a weekly digest that goes out on Fridays, and also you can get access to us through uh, our, our chats that we have, and we're doing these happy hours, and it's a whole lot of fun. So anyway, patreon.com slash China Africa project. We got to get out of here. Cobus is off to another meeting. So we'll be back again next week with another episode of the China in Africa podcast. For Cobus Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.
0: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. For more information about the China Africa Project, go to chinaafricaproject.com.